I appreciate and have been encouraged by everyone's participation in the worship service thus far. It's a great blessing to be with you. I'm always an honor and a privilege to be able to come down on a Sunday morning. Um, and, you know, it strikes my mind, especially in the context of the prayer that was just prayed, that there is a biblical way to deal with any circumstance that does not involve any degree of terror or fear. You know, and the Bible is not a sterile series of truths for those that find themselves in a time of trouble or distress. There are ways to deal with any circumstance that we find ourselves in without involving fear. And many times that's hard for me to clearly comprehend because one of the, a natural response to many, many circumstances or many things that we may observe is to become fearful or terrified. And the scripture simply teaches that there is often a better way, which is radically different um, from many of our natural impulses when we come up against, say, a specific series of circumstances. Um, and I'd like to talk about one of those this morning. We'll begin in Luke, the 12th chapter, reading one of the parables of Jesus. And there's three or four moving pieces in this parable, so to speak. Um, and as with many of the parables of Jesus Christ, it begins by a man or a figure coming to him and asking him a question or making a request of him. And perhaps Jesus understood that most of the time when people come and ask a question, it's because they don't understand something. And so he often seeks to clarify that misunderstanding by providing them with a parable. And so this is the parable of a very rich man. And we read in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. And listen to the profound and simple words of Jesus Christ. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God." And in this, again, this parable starts with a man that comes to Jesus and makes a request of him. And notice what the request is. You know, there are many requests that are made of Jesus throughout the four Gospels. You know, there's people that come to him and ask them how they need to inherit eternal life. And the message that Jesus eventually delivers to them is you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. It is a free gift of my grace. There are people that come to him and ask him for healing. There are people that come to him and simply ask him how they can live a better life. But note what this man comes and asks Jesus. He basically says, Jesus, hey, we have an inheritance, 
and my brother will not divide it with me. Go to him and tell him to divide the inheritance with me. I want my rightful portion. Can we think of a more selfish request to ask of the good master of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ figure, the man who was to come down and walk upon earth and save his people from their sins? This man comes and he says, Lord, just go to my brother and get him to divide my inheritance. And Jesus responds as he rightly should have. He essentially says, man, who hath made me a judge or divider over you? We might say, who has made me an estate lawyer? Who has made me your accountant? Why would you come to me asking me about the, your material inheritance? There are so many other things that this man could have come and asked Jesus about. And this request frames the primary lesson of the parable that Jesus is about to tell to the people gathered around him. Because we could often ask ourselves, how many times do we go before Jesus and make a request like this man does? Master, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. And Jesus, once he asks the man who makes this request of him, who has made him a judge or divider over his estate, he makes two profound statements, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Again, I'm once again struck by the succinct and profound nature of this kind of statement. Christ looked at this man and he says, Remember, your life is not grounded in the abundance of things that you possess. Essentially, even if you don't receive the portion of your inheritance, this is not going to dilute the quality of your spiritual life. In modern day language, we might say, you know, an individual's existence is, is not grounded in the material things that they have. It's not grounded in, in their income, their gross income. It's not grounded in the, the kind of house that they have or the things that they might possess. And again, this has been brought to my mind many, many times. Because as many of you may, I fight with this on, I fight with this on a daily basis because the thrust of our culture teaches us that we are defined by our material successes. We are defined by the kind of job that we have. We're defined by the kind of income that we see brought into our household on a yearly basis. And again, all of those things are necessary. And I don't negate the weight that many of you bear on a daily basis when you come home at night and you realize that there are a group of people that are depending upon you for their sustenance and for their food on a daily basis if you're the primary income provider of your home. That is a very serious weight that Scripture tells us to take very seriously. But he's reminding, he's reminding these people here, separate that which you need materially from that which you need spiritually. Because remember one of the more important scenes in the ministry of Jesus when Satan comes to him and tempts him in the wilderness. And Jesus essentially says three things to him, but one of those that he says in Matthew 4 and verse 4 is, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, he's, he was saying that you shouldn't tempt me. Um, you shouldn't tempt, tempt me with you know, these kinds of spiritual temptations that Satan is laying out before him because I understand that my life does not purely involve the bread that I'm eating on a daily basis. He's also saying, remember... That human beings, yes, they're physical, they need food, they need a, a house to protect them from the elements, 
They need a house to protect them from many of the wild animals that would have been roaming in that area, perhaps in the desert itself that Jesus was in. He was also saying, remember that it's not just about bread. It's not just about the things that you can touch and that you can sense. And uh, he goes on to detail this parable in Luke chapter 12 and speaks of a man that has quite an inheritance, that has constructed quite a legacy for himself. And this man had a very a rich, plentiful harvest year. The ground of a, the rich man brought forth plentiful, plentifully. And as in many of these parables, he says it was a certain rich man. That is to say, this man certainly was a specific man that actually lived. Or there was a man who was much, much like this one. I think what also he's indicating by that word certain is that this man is also like many of us. There was a certain rich man. I don't know if this man was living at the time that Jesus told this parable. I don't know if he had already passed away or if he was yet to live. But if God could look down before the world was even created and look upon the lives of all the human beings that he would create and see that there is none that would do good, there was none that would seek after him, and there was none that do righteousness, he could certainly look back through all of these thousands of years of human life that he could there observe and pick from each of those people this man whose life clearly conveyed this point that he was trying to get across. And he says, This man thought within himself, in Luke twelve seventeen, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. So perhaps this man was sitting back on his porch and he was looking out over his land and he saw the wagons filled with this plentiful harvest that he had brought in. And reasonably so, he asked the question, what am I going to do with all this extra stuff that I have this year? There is genuinely so much that I don't have a place to put it. And ah, he has a brilliant idea. And he said, this will I do. I will simply pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Such a happy idea to conceive of. Oh, I have all these things. I'll just bulldoze my barns down. I'm going to build greater barns up, and I'm going to put all my goods within those barns. And there's so much there that essentially I will be able to retire. And I will sit back and I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. This man was no doubt blessed. But the Lord tells him something very sobering. And God said unto him, Thou fool, I thought this man was a genius. I thought this man managed his estate well. I thought this man was quite a farmer. I thought this man was very rich. I thought this man had so much riches that he was going to be able to retire early. But God says unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now, we can make the reasonable assumption that this man probably passed away as a consequence of his greed. It's curious that we're not told explicitly what happened to him. We're told that his soul would be required of him. And because we don't know whether or not he physically died, this passage 
opens up a broader scope of applications that we might have had previously. That is to say that oftentimes when we act as this rich man does, our soul might be required of us. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, I'll go ahead and say this, that um, especially compared to standards of living maybe two or three hundred years ago, we're literally all millionaires. That's right. Quite literally. If you look at it, standards of living you know, on a, just a daily income basis have increased by some thousands of percent, percentage points. It really is astounding. And so in the context of this passage, we have been placed in one of the most precarious spiritual conditions recorded since the beginning of time. Because we're richer than we've ever been. And again, I don't think any of us would disagree that it's a bad thing. That poverty is as low as it's ever been. That we've been able to build these massive infrastructures that have really benefited us in a lot of ways. I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying there are a whole another series of problems that we have to deal with when we're dealing with the massive quantities of wealth and success that this rich man had. When, the man's, when we're pulling down our barns and we're building bigger barns, the message of Jesus in this parable is be careful. Be careful that you might think that my soul, the meaning of my soul, the sustenance of my soul is derived from the things that I have. Because the soul is not a material thing. It's hard to really understand what it is. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that I don't know the soul of man that ascends up into heaven. And if the wisest man that ever lived didn't know exactly what the soul is, it's going to be very difficult for us to discover what it was up to in this day. And I'm not going to claim that we can understand exactly what it is. Because it's not like one of the organs of our bodies, like the heart that's pumping blood you know, throughout our extremities and our arms and our legs. You know, we can basically understand what that is. But the soul is spiritual. It makes us different from this pew right here. Many of the um, elements of that pew are also in our bodies. But what makes me different from that pew right there? I, praise God, I believe I have a soul. Scripture testifies that we have souls. What makes you all different from the various components that are in this building? It's because you have a soul. And that soul is eternal. Stephen, on the very day that his beliefs brought him before some of the most powerful men in the world at that time. And he was being stoned to death in the street. He looked up to heaven and he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Because he understood that when he died, his spirit would flee to be with God above. Paul said it too in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he trusted to be absent with the body. From the body was to be present with the Lord. And that's a very special thing. It's nearly incomprehensible. But it's fairly plain that our soul is a very spiritual thing. And often, when we're of the opinion that the things of this world, if you will, the the riches, the barns, the plentiful harvest are what sustains our soul, often that spiritual element of just our life here um, becomes less prominent, becomes less important, and it often deteriorates. So when he says to the rich man, this night shall thy soul be required of thee, there's a distinct chance and there's reasonable evidence to assume 
that this man probably died. You know, arguably, the Lord didn't even have to extend His direct hand of judgment upon him. He may have just gotten fat in his ease and passed away. But whether he did or not, we can still derive the lesson from this parable that our soul is not about the riches of this life. We may have a lot of things, but there's something else that we need. There's something purely fundamental about the things that we need on a daily basis that's not related to our house, to our cars, to our income, to the wealth that we have as just recipients of the blessings of one of the greatest nations that's ever existed. The massive things that our economy has created, those are all incredible. We have to deal with them very carefully. Again, we're in somewhat of a very precarious spiritual position. So what do we need? What is it that we need that will sustain us? We knew Solomon, although he didn't have the soul figured out, he didn't understand exactly what it was. He did say that I know that with an abundance of riches or wealth, people are never going to be satisfied. It may satisfy parts of them. I'm sure this rich man physically, he was very happy. He had a lot of food. He had a lot of wealth. He probably had a nice house, and he most certainly had some really nice barns. But that wasn't sufficient. You know, and, and arguably, that's one of the things that we're struggling with today, that we have to understand that there is a spiritual component to born-again child, children of God that cry out for certain needs that the world cannot satisfy. There are things that they need that wealth cannot impart to them. I'll go ahead and say this. It would be better to be spiritually wealthy than wealthy in the sense that this rich man was. And what he was lacking was he was lacking some spiritual riches. What are we told in verse 21? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And that establishes that there is often a difference between being rich for ourselves and rich towards God. This man, he was very rich. He was tearing down his barns and he was building some bigger barns. I'm sure his neighbors walked by and they saw that construction beginning and they realized how wealthy he was and how powerful he truly was. But God looks at his man and this man and he says, first of all, you're a fool. Second of all, your soul is going to be required of thee. And third of all, you are not rich towards me. Because this man did not truly understand what he needed. But thankfully, Christ does not leave us in the dark. He didn't leave this man that came asking him to act as administrator over his state in the dark. I'm sure that he looked at this man as he was still standing there waiting for an answer to his question. And he said in verse 22, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat. And the body is more than raiment. So we may look at our bodies and we may see that we need food. We grow hungry. We need to be clothed. We need protection from the elements and from the wind and from the cold. But he says the body is more than that. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to fully understand it. But we can stand on the authority of the Word of God and say that born-again children of God need more than just meat or food. 
They need more than just the raiment that we put upon ourselves on a daily basis. And he provides some beautiful examples from nature. He says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? Say, look at the creatures that God has created that you see flying about in the heavens. They don't have barns like the rich man. They don't have massive storehouses like the rich man. They don't sow nor reap like the rich man did. And God still feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? You know, that's part of the lesson when we have one of the Old Testament prophets stranded out in the middle of the desert on the verge of starvation, and the ravens bring him food to eat. He's sustained by the ravens. That was divine sustenance sent to him literally in the beaks and claws of birds. And that's part of the message that ought to be in the forefront of our minds in an age of incredible prosperity is that our spiritual fulfillment does not come at the hands of perhaps corporate America or the person for which we work, our spiritual fulfillment comes in ways that we do not really expect. It comes from the birds, the creatures of God, the things of God. Verse 26, he says, If you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies. Again, an example from nature, how they grow. They toil not, they spend not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The threads that spin throughout the Bible are just stunning to me. It's, it's incredible to find the end of one and continue to follow it until you grow so tired of following that one thread that you have to pick up another. Or that thread begins to span such a wide swath of Scripture that you eventually find the end of another one connected to the end of the thread which you were originally following and it takes you directly into something else. But he says, you can sit there and think all that you want, but can any of you through thought truly make yourself taller? I assure you, it's not as much now, but especially maybe five or six years ago, if I was able to sit and think and make myself taller, I would have done it. And I'm telling you, it does not work. It just doesn't. Because we can sit and think all that we'd like, but there are certain things that we, have, we do not have the ability to control. Uh, then he asked somewhat of the ironic question, if you can't even do this, why are you going to worry about things which are far greater? The lilies don't worry. Yet Solomon the man who probably had the most wisdom about the soul of anyone that ever walked upon the earth, he was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, whose thoughts and reflections we still reference to this day that are contained within the canon of Scripture, he was not arrayed like one of these. Now let's skip down to verse 30. As we close, we read that for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. What a balanced perspective. Christ says, I understand 
that the world seeks after the riches of the now soulless rich man. They seek after those things. And he understands that we have need of them. But in verse 31 he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And in the midst of that seeking, as we may lay things aside to pursue that which is spiritual, he says, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're called to do something which is difficult and counterintuitive to say the least. Called upon to lay aside the importance that the world assigns to wealth and to the prosperity that this rich man had and pursue that which is spiritual. And again, the Lord clearly understands that we associate a lot of fear with that. There's often a lot of instability associated with that. But again, he says, at every turn, he's dealing with the concerns that often crop up in our minds, and he says, fear not. Has your ground brought forth plentiful fruit this morning? I would say regardless of how we feel about our lives, um, especially compared to a lot of people, our grounds have brought forth plentiful fruit. Amen. You know, how much money would I have to give each one of you to completely give up the Internet? I'm not sure if I could be paid enough money to completely give it up. Um, by default, on the basis of that, we're all millionaires. We have access to something that people didn't have access to a mere 50 years ago that was really not even conceived of 50 years ago. And we've been granted with all of these things. And again, those things are not bad. They present a whole other set of issues. Right. Not the best, but one of the most moving spiritual experiences I've, pro- I've had um, was out in the middle of nowhere, sitting on some bamboo bushes, uh, bamboo benches, under the beating sun as I listened to someone preach the finished work of God's grace over in Africa. And I've often realized that the material goods of this world, the prosperity of the rich man, distracts us from that which is most meaningful. Again, I'm not accusing anyone of anything this morning. I'm simply saying that it is a prevalent issue that we're dealing with today. Something to keep in mind. So I would say in closing to take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The Father knows that we do have need of these things. But regardless of those concerns, regardless of those needs, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you.